0: Welcome to Episode 4 of the Podium Runner Endurance Podcast, talking with athletes, coaches, and sports scientists about their experiences and advice. I'm your host, Ian Sharman. I'm a coach at Sharman Ultra and a professional ultra runner. And this episode, we're talking to Mike Wardian, one of the most prolific racers in the world. He's a Guinness World Record holder, a USA national champion at 50k, 50 miles, and 100k, an 11-time Team USA member, four-time USATF Ultra Athlete of the Year, IAU Athlete of the Year, a father of two boys, an international shipbroker, and I could keep going on, there's so much more we can say about this guy. This show delves into Mike's longevity in the sport. That's a really key topic, and I think something that a lot of people can learn from, including his tips for runners to lessen the chance of injury and stay at the top of your game for decades. That includes things he's learned in the past 25 years of racing and his wide experience of every form of running race. And I really do mean every form. We talk about recovery, about keeping running varied, and about some of his amazing experiences on on every continent around the world. He's one of the friendliest and most like guys in sports, so I hope you like our conversation. Let's get into it. Welcome and thanks so much for joining me, Mike. Um, You pop up everywhere around the world in so many different races, and you're never afraid to turn up at a start line, no matter what type of distance it is or what type of race it is. So uh, please introduce yourself a little bit about uh, how long you've been racing and what type of events I would say specialize in, but that's kind of everything, I suppose.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, So my name is Michael Wardian. I'm a 46-year-old professional uh, marathon and ultra-marathon runner from Arlington, Virginia. And I run, yeah, kind of all different distances from... Actually, this past weekend, I just did a one-mile race, um, and a couple weeks ago, I ran um, for, like, 63 hours and 262 miles. So, um, yeah, kind of anywhere in between there, Um, you know, run marathons on all seven continents, uh, won national championships in 50K, 100K, Uh, 50 miles, uh, been on some world teams for the U.S. in uh, 100K and 50K and um, love running trails too. So like not just kind of road or trail, but a little bit of everything.
0: So I wasn't exaggerating there for the people who are listening. Mike does race everything uh, it, from every distance one mile to 200 plus miles uh trail road all around the world i mean in fact i would guess that almost everyone who's listened to this has probably been at a race that mike has been at that's how frequently you do things so uh, given that the, the recent months have been all virtual races although i know you just did a, a real race in the last week um how has that been for someone like yourself who is racing almost every weekend normally
1: uh yeah it's it's been weird because you would think like with all the races canceled um you know it'd be a little bit less um busy but i've actually i think i've had the busiest year i think i've ever had in my life um in 2020 just because um although you know there's not there's not um you know in-person races there's lots of virtual races or i've been doing a lot of um fastest known time. So kind of like self-directed projects. Um, and I think as of this past weekend, I've already raced 1,243 miles. So, um, so yeah, so it's, it's not been much different and I've done 35 different events. (laughs)
0: <laughs> um i shouldn't um, be surprised i mean normally i suppose your limiting factor is the amount of travel time it takes so if they're virtual you just get even more races you can pack in but you like you mentioned at a second you've done a really wide variety of things so one of the ones i did want to mention is the quarantine backyard ultra uh, which you won um 63 hours worth of running and, and 262 miles you said there so could you explain what a quarantine backyard ultra is um, the, the backyard ultra is is a normal format anyway, but this was the quarantine version of it and and uh, also how you kept yourself going for that many hours
1: yeah i mean I think it's actually a pretty cool event if people haven't um you know experienced one or don't know much about it uh you basically it's a it's kind of like um a Uh, a really equal event because you don't have to be super fast or super fit. You just have to keep showing up. So every hour on the hour, you have to run 4.167 miles or about eight or um, what is it? Uh,
0: Eight, six and a half kilometers or so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Six and a half kilometers, eight kilometers is five miles. Sorry. Um, So yeah, so you, you have to run, um, 4.167 4.167 miles. And most people just run 4.2, especially if you're doing it virtually so that uh, you know, you're know you not short. Uh, and just to check, the so, reason
0: for that is so that it's exactly 100 miles in 24 hours. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. Yep. That's the, that's exactly what I was about to say. So every 24 hours, you cover 100 miles. Um, and then uh, the way that it works is however many people start the race um, so I think the Quarantine Backyard Ultra, which was pretty cool, it was kind of done using uh, modern technology. So we did it using uh, Zoom. And then I think it started with like 2,500 or 2,600 people all around the world. So like some people are running in um, treadmills. Some people, like myself, I was running outside around uh, my neighborhood, like um, like a 0.4-mile loop um, just around – uh, a little like part of my neighborhood. Uh, other people are running in office buildings. Um, you know, one lady was running out of her sauna. Um, yeah, so it, it was, it was pretty, uh, pretty different, uh, eclectic kind of mix. And, uh, the race continues until there's just two people left and then the race ends when, um, one person can't go on, uh, either because they're not allowed to, or, uh, because, um, you know, they just quit. And so, yeah, you you don't know how long the race is going to be. Uh, you don't know how many miles you're going to cover. Uh, you don't know what the weather is going to be like. And so it's, it's pretty cool because it actually used, like we were saying, you know, I've raced all over the world at all different distances, but it really used, uh, you know, every skill that I've, Uh, acquired along my career. And you had asked earlier, you know, when I started, I started, um, my first race was 1996, uh, the Marine Corps Marathon here in Washington, DC. And I did that just to qualify for the Boston Marathon. And and I qualified for Boston uh, in my first marathon, running a little bit under three hours and 10 minutes. I think I ran 306 and then uh, went to Boston and broke three hours, and kind of got hooked on running, and um, kind of been on that journey ever since.
0: And, and out of interest, were you a collegiate athlete? Did you? Uh, I know you played some other sports, but did you run uh, at college?
1: Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I was a lacrosse player, and and that was really about it. So I played lacrosse, lifted weights for lacrosse, uh, did like cross training, you know, um, but nothing. Uh, running related other than you know what it had to do um, to to be good at lacrosse and so I picked up running kind of my junior year um, of university just to kind of stay fit Uh, kind of at the end of my junior year decided I wanted to have one year in college where I didn't uh, have to play lacrosse and so I took one year and and that's when I kind of got into running and and decided I was going to run a marathon.
0: That uh, that surprises me. I, I always thought you were probably a collegiate runner, but uh, very similar to myself, I didn't start till after university to, to get into running. And I think it shows to people how <clears throat> you often have a, uh, a certain number of years that you can run really well. So if you start at 50, you often get 10 or 15 years. If you start at 20, you often get 10 or 15 years. But you started in, in your 20s, and yet uh, at this point, you're at, what, 25 years or something worth of, of competitive <laughs> running. So you're definitely getting more than your fair share there. But I think it's hopefully something that other people who are listening in can get inspired by the fact that there's no reason why you can't start at a later date. You don't need to have been a runner when you were at high school and other things, but that you can enjoy for a long time. And there's no reason why if you are smart with everything, you can't do it for a long time too. And and it's not like a lot of sports where once you hit your 30s, you're kind of getting past it in running at least. You can keep doing it either for fun or potentially competitively much later. And there are many ultra runners who are even older than you. Um, I know there's someone like Jeff Browning, for example, who uh, won the Hard Rock 100 Mile the last time it occurred. He's been top 10 at Western States many times, and I think he's 48 now, so a couple of years older than you. So again, for people listening in, this is a, a good sport to be in and something <laughs> that we can keep doing hopefully forever. And I would yeah. guess, i, I do not sure I even need to ask you this, but are you going to run forever? Are you going to run until you're 80 and, and keep doing marathons?
1: I hope so. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. I always see those records that um, people like Ed Whitlock or um, there's a guy in Pennsylvania that, um, that, you know, set some pretty big records um, and he's still doing hundred milers. And um, yeah, I I feel like that's what I love about our sport. Like you, you can do it and maybe, you know, it's not at the same uh, intensity or, you know, you're not like, on the podium, uh, but you're still doing stuff that's that's really cool, and you're getting. I mean, the big thing for me is the community, like being a part of it, and then also, you know, getting to um, experience the world like under my own power. I think is something that's just really special, and uh, hopefully, I can keep doing that for uh, a very long time. And um, the the really, you know, still kind of cool thing that I uh, pinch myself all the time is that you know I still have um, you know, quite a few sponsors that are interested in working with older athletes and, and still, you know, still competitive. Like, you know, I won (laughs) one of the only, uh, races that went this year, um, you know, a live race. I won the first ever trail race in Saudi Arabia, the eco trail Alua, um, that happened in February. And so like, it's still cool to, you know, be in the mix for, for those, uh, big events, but, um, I don't think you have to be limited by your age. And, and I think that running is a really good sport because um, it's really about the being consistent and, and doing the work. And it doesn't care if you're 20 or 40. If, you, if you've done the work and you've put the time and effort in, you get the results. And if you don't, then you don't.
0: Well, we'll talk more about the travel element that you just brought up there a little bit later. But one question that I, uh, I had for near the end, but I think I have to ask it now, which is, what um, is it that keeps you motivated? And how has that changed over time? Because presumably, when you were in your 20s and, and early 30s, and you were trying to do things like get on the Olympic marathon team is one of the potential things. Um, how, how have things changed there? Because you've slowed down, but only very marginally.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, um, that's one of the the cool things is like I, re- I really, and yeah, I'm, I'm a bit slower than I was uh, running marathons, but not tremendously. Like I think earlier this year, just around my neighborhood, I ran like a 233 marathon solo. Um, and my PR is 217.49. So, you know, it's, you know, 10, 14 minutes. But uh, when you think about it, you know, by yourself, you know, doing it just around your block, like not bad. Um, and I think I have been super lucky that I've been able to be consistent and, and really, you know, haven't had to deal with a lot of injuries. And I think that's allowed me to, you know, be still in the mix and, and still being able to do these things.
0: Well, given what you were just saying there, <clears throat> recovery was a big topic I wanted to discuss with you. So I know you have had some injuries in the past, but you've raced at such a high level for a long time now. So how have you remained uninjured generally and healthy? What, what are the key elements to your lifestyle or, or the way you approach things?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's actually one of the big things. Like I think you and I were teammates, I think the last time I <laughs> that I was injured. And so it's been a little while, you know, we've, we've, both um been i think for the most part you've been able to stay pretty healthy too like i see you get banged up every now and then and i think you're you're coming back from something at the moment but
0: yeah um, definitely things hitting me more now i'm in my late 30s and i turn 40 next month but uh, i i wouldn't <laughs> mind uh, to be able to, to get the degree of of lack of injury you've had uh for, for several more years but do you think that there's particular things that you've done related to things like sleep or adjustments you make day to day? Or or do you think also there's a large genetic component to that, that you're just lucky?
1: No, I mean, I, I definitely feel like I'm lucky. Um, but I do think that, you know, there's been some, some things or tricks or tips that I could offer to the audience. Like, I, I think for me, um you know having you know some big you know audacious goals to chase like i think that's really important i think um having something to wake up for and and get out the door and be consistent with your training i think um in the last probably five or six years, I've really found strength training. So uh, I don't know if people uh, follow me uh, on social media, but uh, you can see me doing a lot of like strength and mobility stuff, core stuff. Uh, just this last, like since March or so, I've gotten really into um, like high intensity strength training, like crossfitty type stuff. And I think, um, that's, that's really made me a more resilient runner and just, um, allowed me to be stronger at the end of races. Like I've really noticed how, um, you know, my posture is, is good. Uh, I still like, I don't get as tired. Um, I'm just able to dig deeper. Like I've been really impressed with how that's worked. Um, and then, I think as far as like being able to race, you know, I think people know me for, um, you know, maybe doing two marathons on the same weekend or a 50 miler one day and a half half marathon the next day or a hundred miler and, you know, a marathon or something. Um, you know, that's, that's, um, something that, you know, I've done from the very beginning. I did, I think my first year I did four marathons, uh, and, uh, and a 50 miler, um, but I also kind of respect my body. Like I've, as I mentioned at the beginning of this, like I've had a big year, like racing like 1,200 miles, and um, the last like three weeks, I've just felt like kind of like blah. And so I, I think I've done like 65 miles, 70 miles maybe, uh, whereas my normal volume is like 70 to like 120, maybe you know 180 miles, depending on what I'm doing. And so I think. That you have to really respect your body. And I think like we're going back to like when I were, we we're talking about me being injured, I think once I got a really bad bout of injury, I had five stress fractures of my pelvis and five hernias simultaneously in 2012. And that's when I realized that, you know, you got to, you know, before that I'd say I'd like kind of respected my body, but I really was just saying that I was really just, uh, trying to hit a certain number. And I feel like as I've matured in the sport and realized like, you know, if you, if you get in 60 miles and you feel good and, and you're you know still be able to do like some quality work, like that's way better than doing, you know, 150 miles and not being able to run for three weeks. Like, so,
0: um, I think that's, yeah, and Do you, that's do you a now way, run a little bit less than you used to? So you mentioned 70 to 120s. That's still high numbers. But would you say that on average, like for an entire year, you're maybe running slightly fewer miles at this point and, and that you're not as obsessed with weekly targets or, or, or things like that?
1: I'd say it probably works out to be about the same miles, but I'd say like, yeah, the weekly numbers are definitely a little bit lower. Um, but then if you look at the amount of time That I'm actually working out like because you add in like the strength training or the cycling or, um, you know, just, you know, hiking on the treadmill. Like that's actually something that I picked up from you is like the weight vest type stuff. Like that's the that's the kind of stuff that um, I think really allowed me to continue to train and, and, and perform at a high level, but that maybe doesn't have as much impact on your body and allows you to kind of recover more and also, you know, be able to, um, draw on those skill uh, when you need it. Like, I think, I mean, you're one of the most impressive hikers I've ever like met, like you hike faster than most people run uphill and like,
0: that's Only like when they're really people. tired. That That's the secret. I've got, they've got to be like 70 miles in. Otherwise, they run <laughs> yeah, up much quicker than my hiking. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. Like, every time uh, I've been near you, like, I'm to, trying to jog and I'm just like, I should just walk because – or hike because Ian's so fast. Yeah, so anyhow. Yeah, so, I mean, I think stuff like that's really helped. And then I think, um, you know, just being consistent, like, with your training, like, uh, making sure that you – uh are doing the right things and like i think getting on softer surfaces is really a, a good thing like i always try to get on trails uh if i can but I, I do love running on the roads and so i think there's a balance too between that like um you know if only if you only ever run on trails like i don't think you're, you're gonna have the kind of leg speed that if you go out and do like a hard 10 miles so like i think that I've, i think i've been lucky that i've been able to kind of toggle that you know line between like uh running fast and hard and then also like getting in like vert and technicality and so like that's been fun to work on both those things so i think always having something unique to like look forward to and to keep your training fresh and exciting has really helped me be able to stay after it and and keep pushing and keep evolving as an athlete
0: so it sounds like there's probably four key things that I could draw out of that that you just said. So one of them is keeping things interesting. So you're always doing different stuff. You're always inspired by what you're doing. You're not just running the same race a million times and getting bored of it and not caring anymore. Um, you're keeping it on varied terrains and, and allowing your body to to be tested in different ways, doing short races, long races, trail races, road races, so that it's a bit more um, holistic and, and rather than just being one thing again and again and being more repetitive. Um, strength work you mentioned as well, so stuff to help maintain your body's ability to uh, to move well and and keep the mobility in there as well as the strength, and then um, the active recovery side you said as well, like the um, power hiking and and using a weight vest, but nothing that's super challenging there. It's much easier, just low impact things, cycling as well, you mentioned. So th- those are all pretty basic things that I think we'd probably all be aware of, but it shows how when you really in, put that all into your lifestyle, it does allow you to do more and for longer than you otherwise would. So uh, it, it doesn't sound like there's anything particularly surprising there, um, but related to that, Um, How many hours a night do you sleep? Because that is one of the biggest things that affects recovery. And I know that you're one of the people who can get away with less than most.
1: Yeah, that's actually one of the things that I've been trying to work on. So yeah, so like, if I get four hours, like straight, that's like really good for me. And so like that actually, um, it's the first time in a race where that's come in super handy, you know, during the quarantine backyard ultra, like not really having to sleep, like, I was like, sweet. Like, finally I can really leverage that. Like, you know, cause most of the time, if you're in a, even like a hard mountainous, hundred miler, you're done in 30 hours or something. I mean, 40 hours of the cutoff. So it's like, it's long time and you're out there and you're it's hard, but you're never really like that sleep derived or at least, you know, you get a little bit crack, you know, sucky the second day for most people. But Um, so yeah, so like not being, um, someone that needs a ton of sleep, like that's been super helpful, but that's also something where I know that, um, people think that you need a lot of sleep and, and that's something where I've been trying to improve on, but it's one of the things too. And I think this is one of the things, you know, is like, if it's, if it's okay and and it works for you, then. You know, you can try to improve on it and it's like anything, but um, I think you just have to kind of accept who you are and and the way that you're made. And uh, for me, for right now, I mean, that seems to be okay. Um, and until it's not, I'm probably gonna, you know, if I can bump it up and get like five or six hours, that's awesome. But I really don't feel that much better if I sleep eight hours than if I sleep four hours, so um. That that does sound like
0: that's one of the genetic benefits you have there, because for most people, it's somewhere between about six and 10 hours is is their optimum. I personally don't function well on less than about seven, and I rarely get that little. But I could not (laughs) imagine living on four hours a night. I I would be a complete zombie the whole time, and my running would be appalling. And I think most people would probably be in a similar basket there. But uh, given that even four hours is is a small number, but when you're doing the Backyard Ultra, you – only, every hour you have to do 4.167 miles. So let's say you do eight minute miles, you finish it in 33 minutes. You only have 27 minutes at the most to sleep before you have to start running again. So how did you get naps within that? And did, did you find that you just would try and sleep and you couldn't or would it be five minute naps? How did that work?
1: No, I just didn't even
0: try to sleep. Like I'd... So you didn't get any sleep for 63 hours?
1: Correct. Yeah, no, I didn't wow. even try. Yeah. No, I just was like, yeah, just and then actually I slept for like an hour and a half and then I had to go to work. So like I what? like I went <laughs> I, I went like I slept like I came home from the race and I, I started doing offers and then I fell asleep at my computer, you know, where it's just like the Zs going across the screen and then I was like, Okay, I need to at least like get a couple minutes sleep and then yeah, then I woke up like forty five minutes later and started working again and worked and Straight through um, and then did a one mile race later that day. And so or how not much a gap one mile was there race
0: between the, the end of the backyard ultra and doing the one mile race. Uh, I think it was like less than 12 hours. Uh, <laughs> of yeah. course, yeah. And, and and for people who aren't familiar with Mike, there are a million stories like this. That that doesn't surprise me at all. Um, one other one related to that I do want to bring up, and, and you mentioned when you were injured in 2012 and you had multiple, uh, was it stress fractures, did you say, and, and other things that were wrong? Yeah. yeah so, but during that time, while you had that injury, you ran Comrades in South Africa. And Western States 100-miler in the US a few weeks later. And the day after Western States, you raced the race director around the track where the race (laughs) finishes for a one-mile race. And I believe at the time you said something like, yeah, I had some pain, but, you know, running hurts. And you actually had serious pain. And yet, and here is the bit that I love about this, not only did all of that hurt you, uh, um, and luckily it didn't cause permanent damage, but what was it, like a 5.10 or a 5.12 mile that you ran the day after running 100 mile, or hours after running 100 miles, I should say? It was the lunchtime of the next day.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, and Craig uh, sat on me until the last 200 meters and then out kicked me. Yeah, I remember or that. You
0: you asked me if I wanted to do the race, and I said no because I could maybe <laughs> do a thirty minute mile as a limp, but not not a five minute mile. So, the, Mike Mike here if, for people listening it clearly has some um, amazing recovery ability. But there's some basic things that you're doing there that that are really paying off to add to the, uh, the genetics you have. And you've got to have both of those to be able to do quite as much as you do. But the, the key thing is that uh, still, if you don't do things right, it doesn't matter how good your recovery is, you're still going to get injuries, you're still going to have problems. And do you have any reason or, or idea why you got those particular issues in 2012, but not in other years? Do you think you were overdoing it like you raced more than normal, or you didn't allow yourself to recover as much?
1: No. Yeah. I mean, I know exactly why. I mean, our son Grant, um, he's, um, just turned 11 now, but, uh, in 2011 he was diagnosed with epilepsy. And so he was, um, having seizures and we were sleeping, like, you know, when I said like, I get four hours, like we were sleeping like no hours. Like I was sleeping like 45 minutes and then my wife would like check on him and then I would check on him. And so, And then I was still racing, you know, every weekend or like flying to South Africa and flying home. And, um, and so, yeah, so it was basically not recovering even a tiny bit and then still trying to do everything that I was doing for my sponsors and for myself. And just because I love being out there, but, um, but also just, you know, the stress of like having a child with epilepsy and you don't know, you know, what's going to happen. And so that's, you know, I think one, uh, th- thing that was uh, really tough because, um, you know, you want to do a good job for, um, your work. Uh, you want to do a good job for your family. You want to, you know, be responsive for your, uh, career also in running. And, and like it was just too much and and my body like was trying to shut me down. And, um, eventually it did. Um, and it was fine. I mean, I think, all of us that, um, are in this sport for long enough and, um, you know, have a passion for it at some point you're going to overstep. And I think that's kind of what happened to me is like, I, you know, was pushing a little bit too hard and, and then, you know, I had to take a timeout, I call it, you know, it was like go to the penalty box for a couple months and, uh, and then, you know, come back and, and figure out what went wrong and try not to let it happen again. And, I've been really lucky, you know, since 2012 I really haven't had ing- any major injuries that have caused me to miss really any amount of time and um you know I have niggles every now and then and yeah that's just part of running. Um so yeah, I've been, And, and is mean- your
0: son's epilepsy under control now? Have you been able to to have medications that help a lot with that?
1: Yeah, actually, it was awesome. So we finally found, I mean, there's a bunch of different, I think there's more epilepsy medicines than almost any kind of um, ailment. And we found one that worked well. It was called Kepra, And he was on that for four years. And then we weaned him off of it. And he's been seizure-free for going on like five or six years now. So that's been a huge relief. And also, you know, one of the things that's, you know, that I love to do. And, and that's a big part of our life is, you know, bringing my family with me their kids have been to, I think 18 or 19 different countries and, um, five of the seven continents. And, you know, this year we were going to try to knock off the last two. And, um, you know, so that's a big part of like who I am. And, and one of the things I want to do is show them the world. And, um, you know, when, when you have uh, a son or daughter, that's, uh, you know, you know, has a medical condition, it's, it's, kind of tough to travel sometimes. So that's made it a lot nicer to be able to, you know, be uh, able to go a little bit more remote
0: in the places that we've
1: uh, explored.
0: Excellent, I'm so happy for you guys that, that worked out. And, and the travel side of it is clearly a, a very big motivator for you to see the world, very much so for myself as well. Um, I'm just going to ask a couple more things related to recovery, but then we'll, we'll go on to that because I think that's a, an important part of your life story and, and, and your racing and, and the things that you've learned as well. But sure. I know you, you coach people as well. So what would you say you've learned over the years that helps your runners in particularly, uh, especially related to longevity? I think you probably mentioned some of it there about knowing when you're over, overstepping and learning from that. But are there any other key things that you could uh, draw out?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, yeah, I, I haven't, uh, got as many athletes as, as you guys do, which is, uh, I'm so impressed with what you've been able to do with that. That's been cool to see. Um, but one of the things that I think that I've been able to instill in my athletes and it was something that it, you know, as I said, it took me a long time to figure out is, um, it's okay to miss a day. I mean, like I used to think that that was like the end of, you know, the world. Like if, you know, I wasn't able to run, you know, or I'd run in an airport, you know, just to get a run in or, um, you know, hike up and down the steps for like two hours or something while I'm waiting for my flight. And, um, it's okay. It's, it's going to be fine. Um, and it's, it's more important to like get, um, you know, sometimes your body needs a break. And, and I think that, you know, that that took me a long time to understand. But sometimes uh, when you have a coach, like the hardest part is not, you know, coming up with the workouts or, um, you know, motivating the people. But it, sometimes it's the, telling that it's OK to to to. You know, go easy. Like you don't every run, you don't have to kill it, you know? And so, um, I think sometimes the biggest benefit of a coach is just having a second opinion to be like, is this stupid that I'm trying to like, you know, uh, you know, put on a presentation for my office, fly to China and run a marathon all in the, you know, two days. Like, yeah, it's probably gonna, you know, not end up like, you know, where you want it to be. And so like, sometimes I think, that's, that's been the biggest thing that I've learned is, you know, it's, it's okay. Uh, and then also that cross training is, is really important. Like, I, I thought, like, when I first started, like, if you want to be a great runner, you have to run. And uh, I think that that's true to a point. But I also believe um, that cross training and uh, just general overall fitness um, is really important and impactful.
0: So do you think things like Strava can sometimes be a negative there because people are comparing themselves and they see elite athletes or friends who've done more or who've done more days or other things that they're just arbitrary comparisons and do you think sometimes that can draw people in and as a coach do you sometimes have to say to them look ignore what that person did that's that's not you we have to do what's best for you <laughs>
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's not true just for uh, clients, but also for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) When you see like someone doing 200 mile weeks and you're like, oh man, crap, that's going to take me like three and a half weeks just to catch like up to where they are now. But, um, but you also got to realize, like, I think the biggest thing and the most important thing for me is to like, fulfill all of my obligations and do the best I can, um, in everything. And so, um, you know, if that means like, I'm not going to, you know, be able to go out and do a four hour run, then okay, fine. I'm going to make the best of the 45 minutes I have, you know? And so I think that that's, that's one of the most important things is to be honest with yourself too, is like, like what, what is the goal? What is the end goal? Like, what are you trying to achieve? And then, um, and it's kind of like a lot of things. It's like, do I need to do that or do I just, is, is it almost just being indulgent? Right. Like, I mean, cause it feels awesome to run like 200 miles in a week. Like I, I'm telling you, it's one I'll of the cool
0: word for that. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's, it's for real though. I mean, it's like, it, you feel like you're on top of the world and powerful, but um, you know, if you, if you stress your body like that and you never give your chance, uh, yourself a chance to recover and you never um, back off, like, You're going to be able to do that for a while, and then um, you know it's just it's just unununachievable to to be able to do that for long periods of time. And so, like, in one way or another, you're you're going to have to you know change what you're doing. And and you know either that's you do it uh, through yourself, or you have someone say like, hey man, that's cool, but maybe you should you know, back it down a little bit, like with a coach or a mentor or, um, or even just yourself, like say like, Hey, I, I gotta, you know, I gotta know when to say when and, uh, and not give in to the peer pressure. But I mean, that's, that's one of those things where, um, you know, having all, all the things on social media and people are running up awesome trails or, uh, you know, that a different event or, you know, a different part of the world and, and you're, you know, Envious, or you want to be there. I mean, you got to know uh, where you are and, and what you're trying to do yourself, and and really focus on that. And sometimes that's hard, but um, you know that's that's part of like being able to do this for a long time.
0: Completely, I, I think that's a really key thing for people to take away uh, who are listening. Is that running is a very type A sport. I would actually say that I of the people I coach. Way more often than not, I make them do less rather than more because when they come to me, they're usually pretty motivated, but they're often trying to do too much, and then they're, they're therefore getting to the point of either overtraining or just doing things that aren't as productive. But because of that type A mentality, it's so easy to say, "Well, I've got to hit X miles per week, or I've got to hit X amount of vert per week, or I, I need to hit these benchmarks in in the build up to a particular race." And ultimately, the benchmarks aren't the important thing. They can be of use, no doubt about that. But if you get too focused on the intermediate points and not on the end point of the race or the even bigger picture of running and enjoying it for the long term, I think it's very easy for people to get trapped into the idea of, oh, I must hit 100 miles a week. I must hit 50 miles a week. And if they're at 48, they just go out and do two more to make 50, that kind of thing, rather than thinking, does that actually make me fitter or is that just a compulsion? Um, so it sounds like that that's something where, every runner has probably had to deal with that, including yourself. Uh, we, we, is that something now that you have a pretty good hold on?
1: Uh, to a point. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I,
0: I mean... It's still addictive.
1: Yeah, for sure. And like, I it's funny you say that because I saw my Strava from last week and I think it was like 68 miles. And I was like, oh man, I could have just added a couple extra miles for no reason, like to make it 70 miles. So I could... And then I was just like, that's just dumb. But, um, but I think that's what makes, you know, us competitive and and also so like it's a balance i think for sure
0: um you want to tap into that still You've, you've got to use that drive to push yourself and to get the training in otherwise it's very easy to miss every other day of running but you also don't want to be a slave to it
1: exactly yeah i think that's a good way to put it i mean i think you need it um and you need to have goals and and you know and those could be daily goals weekly goals monthly goals Um, and it's funny because I, I've been doing, like I said, so many of these virtual events and, uh, I've been on some teams, you know, with like 20 people and, you know, they're all expecting me to have like the most miles each week. And like, no, it was like a bunch of other people. I think I came in like fifth or sixth on our team running across the country, but it would be like, you know, I do like 30 miles during the week and then do like 130 miles on the weekend. Right. Or something. And so like, um, you know, that, but that's kind of where I was and what I was trying to do. And so it was hard not to be like, oh man, I'm letting the team down or, um, but you know, you gotta, you gotta be true to what you're trying to achieve. And and I think sometimes that's hard, but, um, it's also the reason why you can do these bigger things. And so, Um, it is a balance, but I think that's, that's why it is sometimes nice to have someone else's opinion to make sure you're, you know, maybe not being overindulgent, or maybe you do need to step it up and, you know, go out and do that extra couple of miles.
0: Definitely that independent and objective third party, because it's so easy to get drawn into making mistakes. I I find myself with my own running happens all the time where I'm thinking, okay, what do I want to do? And what would I advise myself to do? And they're usually two different things. And I think most (laughs) people get stuck in that same, same situation
1: right but it is also sometimes it's tricky where it's like I don't want to do that Uh, but then you get there and you're like oh man I'm glad I did that Uh, and so like sometimes too it's just like giving yourself the permission or the the push to go out and, and do what you know you need to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just like anything.
0: Yeah, definitely. So do you have any other tips for runners um, as they get into their forties and beyond that you think would be uh, useful takeaways for them?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, some of the things that, that I've noticed, um, I haven't really noticed so much um, like they say, like, Oh, you, you don't recover as fast or, uh, anything like, like that, like, I feel like that's just kind of in people's heads and people have said it. And so they believe that that's true. Um, what I, what I have noticed is that, um, sometimes the heat affects me a little differently. Like I didn't used to, I feel like I got, um, as hot as I do now. Um, I also, um, so I just know that like, that's just a thing where, um like i just take precaution and, and i'm just careful uh, in the heat um but i also feel like i run pretty well in the heat even now but maybe not with as less effort as i used to um so that that was something that i was surprised about like just you know and especially if i do a big effort like i just feel like it takes me a lot longer time to cool down um which is something that seems kind of unusual um i also noticed that I just, um uh, maybe it takes me a little longer to get to speed, uh, which is weird. Um,
0: but then do I do mean to like, warm up or just in terms of weeks of training to get back the sharpness of your speed.
1: No, just like in the race, like at the beginning, like I just like in the first 400 meters, I'm usually like in like, like when I was doing that mile race, I was in like 20th place or something. Right. And like, um, like, it's just, like, I don't I don't start off as quickly as I used to. Like, the gun goes, and I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah. Like, I'll see most of these guys in, like, five minutes anyhow.
0: So, like, whatever. Well, that's the ultra-runner run, mentality there for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, well, no, but it's also, like, just, like, I mean, most of the kids just don't know what they're doing, um, but – like there is a point where you're like okay actually i'm just running slow and so like i got to actually run fast and so like that's something that i've noticed is it just takes me a little while to get up to speed um but then i can hold that speed forever um so that's actually been kind of cool like maybe i'm not running 516s but i'm running 533s or something but i can hold that pace a lot easier than um than in the past so that's that's been interesting and then also um i think that i've Practiced running slower because that was actually really hard for me. And I think, you know, as people um, start to do like some of the longer events, it's like, you know, it's not easy to run a lot slower than you're used to. And so like, I've practiced that. And and that's something that I've been uh, cognizant of, you know, really taking advantage of is like, you know, getting used to running 12 minute miles, 13 minute miles, like that's basically walking pace, but it's not. Um, it's actually a couple minutes faster than walking pace, but if you can do that for a long time, you can cover a lot of ground. And so, um, that's something like just having the discipline to be like, I know this is super slow, but, uh, if I do this like two days from now, this is going to feel fast. Um, and just that's, that's something that's taken a lot of getting used to, but I also think that that's something that I just wouldn't have had the patience for when I was younger.
0: And do you think you've changed your diet at all and been strict with it? I know you've been a vegetarian, I think for quite a long time. Are you yeah. stricter with the types of things that you eat now and are you more careful? And is that one of the, something that's changed to help you as you've aged a little bit or, or not?
1: Um, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm stricter. I, I've gone all the way to vegan and, and come all the way to different points of vegetarian. Like I still don't eat meat or fish or anything. Um, I'm probably about 10 years ago, I cut out dairy and, uh, right now I'm eating eggs and honey or the two animal products. And I feel like that's worked really well for me. Um, but I wouldn't say like I'm super strict about um, my diet, but I am careful. And I I do a thing with a company called Inside Tracker to kind of make sure that I'm uh, okay with like the different levels of like vitamin B and vitamin D and uh, iron and kind of some of the typical things that runners uh, can you know have issues with. And then, I just started working with, uh, on pace wellness. They do nutritional consulting and, um, you know, I feel like I was eating a lot of greens, but I noticed that, uh, that's something that, you know, I've actually picked up a little bit in the last probably two months or so is just making sure that I have some darker greens rather than just like, you know, salad, but like, you know, some like spinach and, and stuff like that. And um, I'm always kind of refining um, my diet, but I wouldn't say it's super restrictive. Um, but I, I mean, I guess if people are coming from a different background, maybe it would sound like it is.
0: But it's not necessarily something that you've changed dramatically, where at a certain point you had to be uh, a lot more careful. It's really been just a gradual process. And like other elements, I suppose, of your training and racing, just slight changes over time, slight refinements to, to get to a better place for you, but not necessarily dramatic ones.
1: Right. Well, yeah. And that being said, though, like I've uh, started working with a company called Stoked Oats and I used to just eat a ton of regular oatmeal with like, um, you know, just fresh fruit in it. And um, I started using their products and they're gluten free, which I, I actually, you know, i have never really worried about that, but I found that I really like that uh, way that that oatmeal sits. And then it's also got chia and flax seeds in it, which I was never really a big, I never thought they were like super foods or anything like that, but I've actually like been really impressed with the way those have, uh, worked. So that's been like, you know, like you said, like a slight refinement, but that's like something that I'm open to is like, you know, tweaking little things to, to see. And that's what I think is cool. You know, we're all this kind of experiment of one and you can, you know, refine little things like, okay, maybe it's, you know, not old fashioned oatmeal or, you know, Irish oatmeal, but it's gluten-free oatmeal. And then it's got these, you know, mulberries in it or, you know, blueberries or whatever, and flax and chia and like, see what that, you know, does before your runs and, uh, how that makes you feel. And, and, you know, that's one of those things, like as a vegetarian, you always get like, where do you get your protein? And I was surprised at, you know, how much protein that oatmeal has. So, that's you know it's different ways to to get to the same place
0: well i'm, I'm going to change direction a little bit here because i want to make sure we get a chance to talk about some of the really fun stuff you've done um, and it is so varied that i'm not sure there's another athlete on the planet who's done quite as much variety in their running as you have so you run both roads and trails uh, and you keep a lot of variety in the in the types of things you do so do you think that each of them enhances the other. So running on the trails improves your ability to run the roads and vice versa. Or do you think there's quite a big trade-off? And, and I don't mean like, uh, you know, you can't focus 100% on one of them um, if you're doing the other one lots. But but do you think that it's beneficial for anyone running on anything, whether they're going for the Olympics or whatever, to have both elements in there at all times to some degree?
1: I do. I mean, I, I've always thought that. I always thought that... Um that running on the roads makes you a better trail runner. And then as a trail runner, you get kind of just this amazing um, workout that builds in and allows you to have so much more strength on the road. So like, yeah, I mean, I think, and that's one of the things too, I think that keeps you healthy because you're not continually um, impacting your body in the same way. And it changes like a lot of the different systems. You're especially like, I mean, we don't have a ton of vert here where I live, but we do have some technical trails and we do have, uh, short, steep climbs and, uh, we do have, uh, some challenging terrain. And so I think if, if you're good on that, like it's just going to make you a better, uh, runner on the roads. And if you're quick, then you can just work so much faster and so much more efficiently through the trails. So like, yeah, for sure. I think that there's a definitely, a, um, the ability to use elements of each to improve uh, both.
0: And, and it's both a f- physical and a mental benefit there that it keeps it varied and keeps the, the leg muscles and the entire cardio system being used in different ways. But I would say also part of that is that On the roads, you get um, a chance to, like a scientific experiment, you're taking a lot of the variables out of it. So you just have similar terrain, similar temperatures. Everything's kind of the same for learning pacing. And on the trail, you throw all these other variables in and you learn a a wider skill set. And so that, that I think, is a useful extra thing. But certainly, like you said, just using the muscles in different ways and giving yourself um, more ability to run hills, for example, on the roads as well is, is very useful to be on the trails for that side of things. But, but do you have a preference? Um, I'm guessing you love both. But if you could only do one, do you know what it would be?
1: Well, um, it's weird because, I, I, I don't know, yeah. I mean, I feel like... There's, there's something really um, powerful about being able to run well on the roads because um, you get to cover a lot of ground. You get to see see a lot. Um, and I think people think running on roads, it's kind of boring, and it's there's not a lot to look at. And um, I think that can be true, but I, I feel like I, I've gotten to see so much of my city in the last six months, like doing these, these huge FKTs all around D.C., like – um and and the surrounding area like i've i've been really impressed with like how how much there is to see and how unique and exciting it is so like i definitely love being on the roads but i mean i don't know if there's anything cooler than being above tree line um on a on a beautiful trail like i've been a little bit uh disappointed lately and some of my trail runs here in in Virginia lately like just because it's so grown up uh with the summertime it's just they call it like the green tunnel but <laughs> there's like just nothing to see like you're just in the woods and it's just humid and buggy and um the trail is beautiful but like I want some like views uh so Uh, I guess it depends like where I am uh, in the world and like which trails I could be on. But um, I'd say like, if I only had to choose one, I'd choose trails um, just because you can find trails that are like road, like um, and I don't know, but I I'd like some like trails above tree line. And I think that's just kind of where I am right now.
0: Um, But and yeah. that's kind of what I expected you might say, that you, 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 you'd you struggle to do without both, though. Um, and I think there's a oh, lot of yeah, runners who yeah. are very much one or the other. They they like their roads, and they don't like even the tiniest incline, or they love their trails, <laughs> and they yeah. don't want anything other than the most beautiful mountainscapes. <laughs> so I, I think th- there's things to be enjoyed in both. And also, when we talked there about um, roads not necessarily being a scenic, there are some beautiful roads that you can run around the world. Things like the Big Sur Marathon that we both run a few times, uh, Lake Town. Tahoe has beautiful road races. Um, there's so many around the world. It's not just the kind of running around the, uh, industrial estate in a boring city marathon.
1: No. And even like, uh, I love running like the big city marathons too. Like there's so much beauty, I think in New York city marathon, like crossing the bridges and seeing the people and running down the boulevards. Like there's something powerful about running down, like one of the busiest streets in the world, and the same with like the Boston Marathon. Like, I mean, how much cooler is it like running down Boylston Street on a Monday? Like,
0: I completely I agree. Yeah, definitely. Like, how many Boston's have you run at this stage?
1: Uh, I think seventeen or eighteen. Um, wow. And yeah, and it's like it's super special to me, and I mean, like. Tokyo. I mean, I've done only London once, but like that was a fantastic race. And, um, you know, the Marine Corps Marathon, like there's so many incredible, beautiful road races uh, in incredible places. Um, You know, we've both done Comrades and I wouldn't say that's super scenic, but like the atmosphere there is just electric. And it's. I'd say it's like one of the you know most trail like road races i've ever done like yeah it's super fast but like you're climbing quite a bit in that 56 57 miles like it's not it's not a typical road race but there is something cool about just running around a track or um, on a treadmill and um, there there's something that you know to be said for for those type of races too just for like the ability to you know really just dial in your pace and um try to stay on it and and it's something pure in in that kind of form of running also. So yeah, I mean I think we've both been lucky to to get to travel around the world and see some incredible things but there's so much of the the world left to see for
0: sure. And that segues perfectly into my next question which is Oh, sorry, go. On.
1: <laughs> no, I was just going to say like if if the U.S. passport's ever like worth anything again.
0: Like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but hopefully that won't be too too long before the international travel's possible again. But my next question was, um, what is the best experience you've had from running outside of the U.S.? Oh, man. Um, or, or one of them. I'm sure you have a million different yeah, stories. Yeah, I've had, I've had a, a
1: quite a few. Uh, I'd say last year when I set the fastest known time on the Israeli National Trail... That was probably one of those pivotal lifetime moments, um, just to get a chance to learn all about that culture, get a chance to be in a place that not a lot of people that I know have ever been, um, to learn that much history, to kind of feel that much spirituality, um, to have like those kind of views and just like incredible food. That was for me incredibly special. And then, uh, I'd say like running in Antarctica and the North pole or kind of, um, one of the most unique places and beautiful places I've ever run. And, um, that kind of opened up the world to me, like knowing that I could run in those kind of conditions, just because before that I was always kind of scared of, uh, running in the cold and didn't really know how to do it. And, um, that was powerful because it opened up, you know, a lot of the world to me. And so I think, um, you know, those, those are, those are two places, like I think running in the Nepali coast and, Kauai is 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 one of those special places for me and uh, i think
0: everyone listening is jealous just from from the last 30 seconds of what you said and that is just a tiny hint at what it, uh, basically i will at the end of this i will um say what your instagram and twitter handles are and stuff so that uh, people can follow you but if you want to get a, a bit of a spice of the entire world of uh, of running then follow mike and, and see what he's up to but uh, Related to that, you just mentioned running on a place like Antarctica. So you've done the World Marathon Challenge twice, I believe, uh, and that's seven marathons in seven continents in seven days. So how the hell does that work? That must just be run, get on a plane, run, get on a plane.
1: Yeah, basically, that's exactly how it works. Um, Yeah, I've been lucky to have gotten to do it twice, and um, both times I was uh, lucky enough to win it. So that was even kind of more, uh, unique and cool. It's like you get to do a once in a lifetime thing and, and not just once, but twice. And, um, you know, I was, I was super lucky both times, but yeah, basically you, you, um, both times I did it, you started in Antarctica just cause that's the one that's kind of the most difficult to control the elements and to get to. And, uh, you run a marathon, uh, hope for good weather, um, fly back to, Uh, the first time I did it, we flew to Chile. The second time I did it, we flew to Cape town and then ran a marathon there and jump on a plane. And then you have a super long flight to wherever you're going next. Um, and you keep doing that throughout the course of, you know, I think it's like 168 hours or something, seven times 24 or something like that. Um, and yeah, you, you just, you just do whatever they tell you to do. And, and it's, that's actually pretty tough because Um, the travel is, is challenging, but also like just the temperature differential between like Antarctica negative 30 or 40 C to, you know, plus 30 or 40 C the next day or, and it's not really the next day. It's like eight hours later, you know, you're running another marathon and, um, but yeah, that it's, that's one of those events that, um, I, I wish everyone could have a chance to do at some point just because, um, You don't get to see a ton of the world, but you get a feeling for, um, you know, different cultures and, and just how much people love running in all places and the amount of, um, desire that people have, like, because it's not all elite runners. Like, I, you know, there's a, there's a few elite well, runners. You did have but Ryan
0: it's... Hall that you, you raced there. So the fastest U.S. <laughs> yeah. marathoner ever was there. Um, but that's in his you bulky well, Yeah, he's retired now, exactly. <laughs>
1: uh, but, but yeah, I
0: wasn't able sure, to enjoy right? it? Well, During the time, were you actually able to enjoy that or was it just too hectic to take it all in?
1: No, I enjoyed the whole thing. I thought it was, it was one of the most amazing experiences I think I've ever had, not just once, but twice. Like um, I enjoyed it too, because you've done some stage races like Marathon de Saab and you know what that's like. So this is basically just like a huge mobile stage race where you're, instead of, you know, staying in one location or, or moving camp each night, you're basically moving camp around the world. And so you get to see people doing extraordinary things like running seven marathons is like, a in seven days on seven different continents, like those people, everybody there is covering like 182 or 183 miles. And so like, just to see somebody, um, reach that deep and, and push themselves to those levels is just unbelievably cool and and it's not just the people in the front but the people at all points in the in the race and everybody's dealing with you know blisters and tiredness and jet lag and and you know missing their family and so you're you're getting a chance to witness that firsthand and and just see them battle through it it's it's really powerful
0: and that's one of the best things, I think, about all distance running, whether you're watching people come into the Boston Marathon, whether it's an ultra, just seeing all the different people, all the different stories they've had on the day. So I, I, I'm sure that's one of the things that you enjoy a lot about the sport as well. But I had one other question here related to um, world ultras for you, which is, what is the hardest race you've ever taken part in? I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but I, there's so many, it could be something else.
1: <laughs> uh the, well, yeah, I mean, I've done I've done most of the hardest races I think in the world. Like, there's probably some that I've never heard of, and if people in your audience have one that that I haven't done, then I'd love to hear about it. But yeah, I think the one that most people say and and it's been the hardest for me, just because I'm not a particularly good navigator, is the Barclays Marathon in Tennessee. Um, and it's not particularly like it's, it's hard for a number of different reasons. It's not a marked course. Um, the weather is crappy. Um, it's a lot of elevation gain, um, and technical trail, like not just like a little bit technical trail, but like kind of like ridiculous, like, yeah, we're not like, I got up to the edge of a cliff there and everybody was standing there. And I was like, there's no way we're going down that waterfall with all those like daggered rocks and, and like, you know, like sticks that are like sharpened at the edge. And they're like, Oh yeah, we are. And it was foggy. You couldn't even see like your hand. And they're like, yep, that's where we go. And they all just like bombed down it. And I was just like, are you kidding me? This is like insane. Like you're not allowed to do that. And yeah, that's, that's where he went. And so like, I was, I was surprised at just how technical and and just difficult it was. Uh, And then the timing seems like it's a lot of time to go 12 hours to go like 20 miles, but it's more like 28 miles and it's more like 13,000 feet of elevation gain. And you don't know where anything is. And yeah, it's just like, for me, that's been the hardest race that, that I've done that, that I just haven't had good success with. I've done it twice and I've made it like not even a single loop. And so like, But that's also one of those races where it's like I want to put the time in and and figure it out, and so like that's, I think – Will you keep going back? uh, I didn't go back um, the last time they had it. Like They didn't have it this year, and I didn't go back last year because it was only a a couple days after I knew I was going to be done with the FKT across Israel, and I didn't want to take someone's spot that actually – like you actually have to be ready to do that race, and I'm not going to take a spot from somebody that actually – you know, is going to make that a dedication of the first part of their year, and so um, yeah. When I have the chance to to dedicate some time to to do it right, I'd love to go back if I if I was ever considered.
0: Well, that certainly is an extreme race, and and just to give people an idea, if you've never heard about it, it's called the Barclay Marathons, and there's a plural there because it's in theory a hundred mile, but it's maybe more like 130 miles. You have to do each loop, which is five loops in, what is it, 12, 13 hours, is it, or 12 hours? Uh, but you've got 60 hours in total, uh, about 50,000 feet of climbing, self-navigation. You have to pick up pages of a book at certain places to show that you've, you've gone round to it. And if people think that isn't crazy enough already, there's a, a really good documentary on, I think, Netflix called um, the, the Race That Eats It's Young, The Barclay Marathons, um, which gives a pretty good idea of what it's like. But uh, I have to admit, I, that does not appeal to me at all. It just sounds like misery. And and I think something that really drives home the concept behind it is the same person that came up with that, the same race director, is it Gary Cantrell? He came up with the uh, the Quarantine Backyard backyard Ultra, or sorry, the, the Backyard Ultras, of which they did a quarantine version this year, where it's a race, in theory, goes on forever. If two people keep running, it goes on forever. So yeah, uh, yeah. I thought that would be your choice, but I wanted to see what your thoughts swear on that
1: yeah i mean i i i'd say you know that you know you have the typical ones like hard rock is is probably you know one of the the most difficult races there's um you know utmb there's uh the uh, there's a race in spain that buff puts on that's pretty tough um yeah like i've done i've done yeah quite a quite a few um but like that one i think the barclays marathon is just it's just hard because it's just like a, a number of different circumstances and it's not even like it's, it's not even like crazy, like a lot of elevation and there's no real altitude to deal with. But it's just the combination of, you know, route finding um, weather and then the tight time constraints that make it really tough
0: and there's only 14 or 15 finishes ever. Most years yeah. it's zero. Yeah, yeah, so I give exactly. a pretty good idea and those people are usually the kind of of people who have records on the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail. It's it's people who are used to doing a lot of, of day after day after day uh, of huge amount of mileage for a couple of months nonstop. So it's a very extreme race, definitely. So I, I would encourage people to check out that uh, documentary, the, the Race That Eats It's Young. But uh, switching focus a little bit, la- last thing I want to talk about was um, your Guinness World Records. Uh, we've both done this quite a bit, and in particular, the Elvis fastest marathon record. So um, one thing about that is how many of those have you done and why do you do them?
1: Um, yeah, man, I, I think that, well, there I've done, Ooh, I guess I've done Elvis a couple times, um, which I, I think I got your record and then a uh, guy got my record by like a minute or so. Um, and then I've done Spider-Man a couple of times. And then I did a world record pushing our son Pierce in a jog stroller and then, grant in a jog stroller, um trying to think if I've done any other I've done like
0: yeah, I or guess were they all ten marathon, marathon distances, or, d- or were there any others apart like half marathons or were they all marathon records
1: uh I think all mine were marathon records i actually I did a half marathon world record uh on the treadmill, um but I don't think that was Guinness most of the time Guinness doesn't do treadmill records um so yeah so yeah i've done a done a bunch of world records, like fifty k on the indoor track um fifty k on a actually no, Guinness did fifty k on a treadmill um so yeah, and, so- and I
0: love the story behind that. I just have to to ask you about that, so <laughs> it was what for a Spartan race thing, you're on a ship, and so you just did a fifty k on the treadmill going for the record, not knowing what time to beat, and you did a bit over three well, hours I. Think.
1: I Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, so I, 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 well, it was uh, super expensive internet on the ship. Uh, So, like, I just kind of checked the first page of Google and didn't really see anything. And I was like, okay, whatever. I can just run whatever time. And I think I ran 3.06. Yeah. So that's a
0: six-minute mile for people who are doing the calculations there. So not exactly slow.
1: (laughs) No, yeah, no. And I had already done a Spartan race earlier that day. Um, (laughs) So... So yeah, for me, it was like my first Spartan race. And then I jump on a treadmill on like a rockety like cruise ship. And it was just kind of like a treadmill in the fitness center that we like double check to make sure that it was like serviced or whatever. Uh, and then
0: I but found, then found uh, out yeah, that I, wasn't I, the record. And so you did it again the next day.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like I did it again, like 18 hours later before we came into port and then, ran three Oh three, I think, and broke the record. Um,
0: yeah. So like that that sums up everything you need to know about Mike Wardian right there. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Like I, I felt like, uh, that was, um, that was, you know, uh, it was pretty funny when I got so pissed when I found out like that I didn't get the record, like some other guy. Yeah. Basically tweeted me back and said, Oh, that's really cool. But my friend went like 30 seconds faster. And I was like, (laughs) ha (laughs) ha.
0: Yeah, but it, it seems like that's the kind of things that motivate you. So the, the last thing I just want to finish on there was, uh, we've, we've talked about so many different types of racing that you've done. Uh, m- most runners don't delve into these, this variety of things, you, you do literally everything, every distance, every type of terrain, every country. Um, so do you think that that's a big part of what you love about running that, that ability to both see the world and to meet people around the world? Is, is that the key thing for you?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I mean, yes, um, but I've also been really happy with how my running's been this year, and I haven't really got to meet anyone, um, like, as for the most part. I mean, I got to at the beginning of the year, but um, I'd, I'd say, like, for me, it's the chance to travel, the chance to explore, the chance to uh, experience things, but also, like, the chance to test myself and to see, you know, what's capable or what's possible for me, uh, at this time. And, um, I also want to continue to evolve as an athlete. I don't want to always just be like a guy that runs the marathon. Like, um, so like to, to, I'd never done a quarantine backyard race until this year. And I did it just because I'd never done it before. And, um, I think that that's the same with like, and I think it'd be cool to go and try for a, a six day race. I've never done one of those before. And my big goal this year was to run across the country and try to set the Guinness world record for that. And so, um, you know, that's been a bit of a bummer that that's been canceled and, um, you know, hopefully I'll be able to try to tackle that, you know, in the near future, but that's something that, you know, I'm kind of working towards. Like, I think that would be a really cool thing. And, um,
0: I think that- yeah, you've you got some amazing stuff you've already done and and even just thinking ahead you've got big plans for the future and I think that the big uh, overall concept here is that you just love running that's why you do it so much that's why you've been able to keep doing it and and you always have something new as a target and I think that's something people can definitely really learn from is that you've got to find your why. This is the year to work out why you run, what you love about it, and then be able to focus on, focus on that because races are canceled. So it makes us think about it a little bit more. So I think that is, is something you really epitomize, Mike. So thank you so much for your time. I'll, I'll stop it there. I could talk to you for many, many more hours, about a million other things, but uh, that's uh, enough uh, for our time for today. But Hopefully, I'll see you again in, in the real world relatively soon. And uh, I'll pass on your details of how people can follow you on the internet and, and other things. But uh, that's been a, it's been a joy talking to you. And, and thanks a lot. Thanks Bye. a lot, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. You can follow Mike on Twitter and Instagram at, at Mike Wardian. Plus, his website is MikeWardian.com. Contact me, Ian Sharman, at SharmanUltra.com. And also let me know if there are particular topics or guests you'd be interested in. We have contact details for Mike and myself in the show notes too. Uh, plus, rating a podcast is also appreciated and will help us get found by more runners searching for this type of content as does subscribing for the podcast. Check out PodiumRun.com for articles for runners of all levels, including the occasional one by myself too. Thanks.